The Gemara tells a story of two Kohanim who both wanted to do the temple service called the Trumat Hadeshen, the removal of ashes from the top of the altar and placing them on the floor of the Beit HaMikdash. They raced up the ramp and arrived at the top of the altar at the same time. One Kohen moved up to the other, took out a knife, and stabbed the other Kohen in the heart. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon, several hours before the annual pilgrimage to Mount Meron for Lagba Omer. I'm sure everyone listening knows only too well that last year, after years of warnings, the unthinkable happened and 45 people died in Meron, and about 150 were injured, some critically. For our purposes today, there's no real reason to dwell on the fact that many politicians knew full well about the dangers and pushed to ignore them. As Yonah Jeremy Bob and Eliav Breuer, with whom I'll be speaking shortly, reported in the Jerusalem Post, many officials have blamed the political echelon for pressuring them into allowing far too many visitors onto the mountain than what was safe. All the officials complained that politicians had been afraid to confront the Hasidic sects that controlled parts of the mountain, as well as the United Torah Judaism and Shas parties, which have pushed heavily to have no restrictions on the number of participants. That was last year. Forget the fact that those politicians pushed for it to happen. Forget the fact that those same politicians have taken absolutely no responsibility after the fact for what happened. Let's forget all that for now, because I want to discuss what I think the proper response should be this year, Lagba Omer 5782, 2022. First, I'm going to speak with Eliav Breuer, a breaking news editor and police affairs correspondent at the Jerusalem Post. He is a graduate of Shalem College in Jerusalem, where he majored in philosophy and Jewish thought. Prior to his university studies, he completed his military service in the IDF's elite EGOS unit. Eliav Breuer, thank you for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about your article and the reporting that you did in the Jerusalem Post. Let's cut right to the chase. What changes have been made this year in advance of the celebrations in Meron? So... Uh, there's a number of, of uh, angles to, to to talk about this, but first and foremost, on on a purely physical uh, standpoint, the site doesn't look like what it looked like last year. So first of all, about 70 illegal constructions uh, have been have been raised, including the the area where the actual uh, uh, disaster happened, um, and access pathways have been broadened. It's been brought up to to, to safety standards. Other than that, the, the event itself has basically been changed based on the interim recommendations of the uh, Commission of Inquiry from November. So the main, the main changes are the following. First of all, uh, you cannot go to the event without a ticket. That is, uh, the tickets cost about 60 shekel. 15% of the tickets were given to specific chassiduyot who usually attend the event. Number one. Number two, uh, the ticket allows for uh, one to be on the mountain for four hours maximum. 4,000 people are allowed to uh, go up on the mountain per hour, meaning that at no given time should there be more than 16,000 people on the mountain. Um, And just for comparison, uh, last year when the disaster happened, there were about 100,000 people on the mountain. Uh, So they've cut that down by over 80%. One of the... uh, other most important changes is that 
only one bonfire will be lit this year, uh, as opposed to last year. Where- Why does that matter? Why is that an important change? So the reason that that matters is because what happened last year is that the, uh, the, the disaster happened at a bonfire that was lit kind of at like a impromptu area that was cleared away at the side of the uh, at the side of the compound. And the fact that there were a lot of bonfires led to there just being an unbelievable mass of people on the mountain. Um, so the organizers are, are trying to decrease the incentive for people to remain on the mountain for for a long time. So one of the things they're doing is cutting it down to just to the Hasidut Boyan, which is a Hasidut that's been like the traditional uh, guardians of the site. Um, and they'll be lighting it tonight at 8 p.m. And that's the only one? That's the only one. Okay, then Eliav, let me ask you, how do we know about implementation? Because these suggestions sound very reasonable. Obviously, I don't know anything about security or safety, but it sounds like good ideas. Nonetheless, how do we know that people will really only spend up to four hours on the mountain? How are they going to make sure that it doesn't turn into a huge crush of people because people overstay their welcome? Yeah, so that's a great question. I actually, uh, I asked the police about that myself before my article. Uh, I usually cover uh, police affairs. So I have, uh, so the police had the following. They are uh, uh, treating this event as they would any any festival or big big, uh, event. And what they mean is that the, the event has producers, people who are responsible for the event itself. And the police are, are stationed around the mountain. They're not going to be at the mountain itself. And what the police told me is the following. They are going to be monitoring the number of people on the mountain. They won't be able to uh, force people off the mountain after four hours. But if uh, people remain on the mountain for four hours and, and there's 16,000 people, they won't be letting... Uh, additional people up onto uh-huh. the mountain, um, and they're hoping what they, they the uh, the organizers uh, of the event launched a campaign uh, a few weeks ago. Interesting, an interesting campaign because a lot of the uh, a lot of the Haredim who go to the mountain don't uh, you know aren't the traditional social media users, um, but they launched a campaign to try to explain the idea of alvutadit and how. By by staying here four hours, you know you'll you'll be allowing others to enjoy it the same as you are. So mutual responsibility, they, exactly mutual responsibility. The police said that if they are asked by the uh, by the producers of the event to go up onto the uh, mountain and force forcefully remove people who who uh, th- this shouldn't be relevant to people who overstay the four hours. More if, if there are people who are uh, disturbing the peace or, or safety hazards, etc. They'll do so, but uh, they want to avoid that kind of scenario as much as possible. So, so just to sum it up, the lighting the one bonfire and selling the tickets, that's stuff that's been done uh, in, in advance of the event itself. So in, so in terms of implementation, those have gone fairly smoothly. Um, and, and in terms of the event itself, the, the main fear is obviously that people will not come down once they've gone up on the mountain. They're hoping for there to be a peaceful flow and hoping that the fact that they lower the incentive by only allowing for one bonfire and also for not allowing food to be sold on the mountain. So people are oh, going to get hungry. Mm. People are going to get hungry. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so, the, so people are going to follow their stomachs off the mountain to nearby <laughs> restaurants. Um, so they, they hope that that kind of the, the, the campaign and the incentives will take care of most of it, but it might be a problem. Uh, it might be a problem. And I also wonder if, Let's presume 
It's possible that people do overstay their welcome. Therefore, I understand the police will not or the organizers will not let additional people come up on the mountain. But those people bought tickets. So it might cause all sorts of other problems and real disturbances because I pay 60 shekel for my ticket. What do you mean I can't go in? Right. Definitely. And and I think that I think the police are are aware of that of that possibility. Um, I think that they they know that. I think they're hoping that if these disturbances occur, they'll occur at the base of the mountain, you know, where people might get upset. But at least they won't. You know, there isn't a, a fear of a, a human crush. Um, they'd, they'd rather people be upset than people, you know, be be dead. That makes a lot of sense. I actually heard, Eliav, that there's another method they're using as well, which is when you go in, you have a color-coded bracelet of sorts, and that way they know who went in at what time. Is that right? Yes, I, that's correct. Um, again, it's it's also kind of being used as a uh, like a social social pressure because people will see each other's colored bracelets and kind of be like, you know, like, get out of here, um, man. Yeah, get out of here. So, so yeah. So that's that. Again, they're being, they're using that as well. So hopefully that'll that'll work as well. I want to mention something else because I've heard rumors, and they may be inaccurate. And in what you're describing now, once again, if nothing had happened last year, and I heard about all of these changes, I would say this is wonderful. This sounds really, really well done because we have very sad experience that we already know about. It makes you ask questions. But I have heard these rumors that there are fears that the changes are not actually going to be implemented the way you're describing it. For example, we know that there have been calls among some extremists, among them the Toldos Aron sect, which was the area that was responsible last year, by the way, for the disaster. It was their area. They've said, even if you have a ticket, don't show it to the police. They can't do this. Go in without a ticket. And we also heard of people forging tickets. And not least, Haaretz reported that Kfir Malka, who was the safety consultant for the agency running these celebrations... He resigned less than a month ago, and I'm going to quote why. Malka had warned that the infrastructure at the site is in terrible shape and isn't ready to handle the 16,000 people who are being allowed to attend this year. Three weeks ago, after his advice wasn't accepted, he resigned, and he also claimed that decisions were being influenced by outside interests. So do you know anything about this? So Josh Briner reported on that, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from Harris, and he, he has a lot of like inside information. So... I'm not. I, I'm, I myself not aware of uh, of anything I'm, regarding the the last part of your question, which was the uh, about uh, the engineer who, who resigned. But I did ask the uh, spokesperson uh, uh, of the Minhelet Meron, who's who's organizing the event this year, and he said that the person in question was hired as an additional engineering uh, consultant for Tzviki Tesser, who's running the uh, running the site this year. Uh, he wasn't hired by the organizers. He was kind of used as an outside consultant. Um, and they said that some of the security hazards he was referring to have indeed remained security hazards, but they've been uh, fenced off and there are going to be policemen around the site. So Obviously, I mean, it's clear that, you know, the police or the or, or someone official from the event won't go ahead and say, oh, yeah, you know, we're actually lying and there's going to be problems. I haven't heard anything, you know, exceptional about about what's go- what's going to happen. But uh, I, I guess, you know, I guess tonight in the next couple of days will 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 show us if, if anything, uh, you know, if, if they haven't been telling the truth. But there's nothing that I know of on that front regarding the beginning of your question. Um, about the uh, extremists, that's another problem that people I spoke to are, are aware of. And I don't know if you, I just woke up this morning and I checked the news and I saw that the uh, the police, there are actually a number of extremists who have been uh, kind of barricading themselves in the grave, in the, the grave site uh, for, for the last couple of days. And the police had to uh, remove them uh, forcefully 
um, this morning. And uh, that that didn't look good. So if that's, you know, how things are going to look for the rest of the event, then that's not a good sign. But what I was told was that they're definitely afraid of of a bunch of, you know, extremists trying to approach the mountain from the uh, surrounding forests. Um, there are 8,000 policemen, uh, including police helicopters, drones, cavalry, motorcycles. You know, this is like... <laughs> there's like an all out an all out an all out operation going on so uh so i think i think that is a that is a concern it's a concern that they're aware of and just one more thing i asked the uh organizers what's the deal like wh- why okay like pe- pe- there are extremists but extremists usually usually are not extreme for the sake of being extreme right um so what what's bothering them like in the end this is the, for their own good and uh what they said what they told me was that um Specifically, Avi Blumenthal, who's kind of the head of the uh, the outreach program for for Meron this year, and kind of explaining it to the public. Uh, so, so Blumenthal told me that um, the idea is just like a number of other things in some extreme elements of Haredi society. They feel that this constitutes basically a government takeover of their religious freedoms. They don't want the government involved. They don't recognize, you know, the secular Israeli um, leadership as as having a say into their internal internal religious affairs. Eliav, I know you're a journalist and a reporter, so this is an unfair question. If you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But after yeah. everything that you've said, would you tell people it's okay to go up there? No one's going to hold you responsible. I'll make that clear. I'm not asking yeah. for you to take responsibility, but do you, yeah. by and large, think it's safe? Or would you say, better to stay away? Um, so I, I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature. Um <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's good for my profession because I, I tend to, you know, I, I tend to to believe that in general people's intentions usually end up, you know, are are are, are good. But um, I think that as long as as you've uh, gotten a ticket, you listen to to the police, and you uh, you know you don't you you just go with the flow and 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 stay your four hours, maybe stay even a little less than the four hours. Um, I would say that it's okay. Okay, Elif Brewer, thank you very much for joining me today. This is very enlightening. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you having me. This is what I think. Let's work with the very fair assumption that Mehron is much safer this year than it was in the past, as Elief Breuer articulated. Even if we assume that the danger is minimal, we need to look back at Chazal's words in Masechet Yoma 23a and b, Dafkaf Gimel. Two Kohanim raced up the ramp by the temple altar in order to do the Trumat Hadeshen and arrived at the top of the altar at the same time. One Kohen moved into the close space of the other. He took out a knife and stabbed the other Kohen in the heart. Rabbi Tzadok stood on the steps of the temple hall and said, Our brothers, the house of Israel, listen. The Torah says that when a dead body is found in the ground, your leaders and judges from the closest city must go out and do the Egla Arufa ceremony. In this case, who should bring the Egla Arufa? People in the city of Jerusalem or Kohanim in the courtyards of the Beit HaMikdash? Listening to him, all the people groaned and cried. The father of the young Kohen, who had just been stabbed and was dying, found that his son was still twitching. The father then said, This will be your atonement. My son is still moving, so he isn't dead yet. So the knife that stabbed him isn't impure. His son would die momentarily, but his father was relieved that the knife was at least suitable for temple usage. This teaches, says the Gemara, that the people then were more worried about purity and impurity than bloodshed. 
The Gemara then mentions that Rabbi Tzadok's words about the Egla Rufa, that is, the beheaded calf that serves as an atonement for someone killed where the murderer is unknown, and is given by the inhabitants of the city closest to the dead body, it doesn't apply to Jerusalem in any case, and wouldn't apply here because the identity of the murderer was obvious. The reason he asked who is responsible for the Egla Rufa was in order to make the people cry more. So we have a situation where Chazal testify that people were more concerned about ritual purity than about bloodshed, where Rabbi Tzado clearly felt that people needed to internalize the seriousness of what had occurred. He needed to make them cry. Given everything that has happened pre and post Lagba Omer 2021, I think that too many people have not yet internalized the seriousness of what happened last year in Meron. If someone were to ask me what I think should be done, I think that the answer for this year, shut it down. Close it up. After the murder in the Beit HaMikdash I just mentioned, as well as a subsequent case where a Kohen broke his leg by falling off the ramp after being pushed when running up to do the Trumat HaDeshen, the Beit Din implemented safety protocols. The race to the top was eliminated completely. Instead, a lottery system was put in place. Why did Rabbi Tzadok want people to cry? Why not just implement new safety protocols, which is what the Beit Din eventually did? I propose that Rabbi Tzadok was trying to get the people to understand that their values had become warped. Doing the Trumat HaDeshen was more important than a young Kohen's life. Having a pure knife was more important than a young Kohen's life. Safety protocols are important, but alongside that, we need to look at what really matters and what we're thinking. My personal opinion is that some people in the Orthodox world are not taking bloodshed seriously enough. It's not enough to fix the problems in our infrastructure. We need to address the problems in our values. The Torah cares deeply about human life. The Torah cares deeply about safety. And last year, human life took second place not even to a mitzvah, but to a celebration not mentioned by Chazal, on a day not mentioned by Chazal, in a place Chazal never said is the burial place of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Let me quickly explain. The earliest published source we have for Lagba Omer being Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's yurt site comes from 1730. Or, depending on how you read certain sources, it could go back to Rav Chaim Vital in the name of the Arizal in the 16th century. But it's unclear if the Arizal himself believed that Lagba Omer is the day of Rabbi Shimon Yochai's death. Moreover, the Chatham Sofer gave three reasons that he is against the idea of Lagba Omer celebrations as Rabbi Shimon Yochai's yurt site. First, the Minhag is to fast on a yurt site, not to celebrate. Second, he says it's forbidden to add new holidays now that something called Megillat Ta'anit is not operative. And third, making Meron a place of pilgrimage is an insult to Yerushalayim. I'm not saying this because I think we're required to follow the Khatam Sofer's opinion. I'm just making the point that it's not as if Lagba Omer is universally accepted as Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's Yurtzeit, or that visiting Meron on Lagba Omer is universally accepted, or even that celebrating Lagba Omer itself is universally regarded as a good idea. They're not. They are, in the scope of Jewish history, recent and controversial. Given what happened last year, perhaps it's time to rethink things. If the Beit Din radically changed the nature of how to choose the Kohen for Trumat HaDeshen in the Beit HaMignash, Kal Vachomer, how much more so we should radically change the nature of how we act on Har Meron on Lagba Omer. Combine that with the speech of Rabbi Tzadok about having inverted values, and to me the answer is clear. Close it up and shut it down. Imagine if rabbinic leadership insisted that this year, Lagba Omer in Meron is not going to happen. 
Imagine if Hasidic groups together announced that as much as we love Lagba Omer in Meron, we need to send a message about getting our values back in shape. Imagine how meaningful it would be if Klai Yisrael together sent the message that a single human life matters more than a bonfire in Meron. And to make that point, everyone needs to take the year off in order to internalize that message. Maybe some of them have. Many of them have not. I believe that something has gone seriously wrong. Celebrate Lagba Omer in the way that you want. But I recommend that at least this year, and maybe for the foreseeable future, don't go to Meron on Lagba Omer. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers. And you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.